Perception is the sum of context and framing. And our perception in the present moment is often based upon previous experience and education rooted in the past. With that in mind, how might your experience, your education around the subject of marketing be creating an unseen perception gap about the role of marketing within your financial brand that as a result is limiting your future growth potential? And what can marketing teams do right now in the present moment to begin to bridge the perception gap that other business lines, business leaders might have about the role of marketing so that together you can guide people beyond financial stress to help them get to an even bigger, better, and brighter future? Well, let's find out together on today's episode of the Banking on Digital Growth Podcast. Greetings and hello, I'm James Robert Lay, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Digital Growth Journey series, and joining me for today's conversation is John Huntinghouse. John is the VP of Marketing at Tab Bank, and today we're going to unpack the progress that he has made along his own journey of growth as we discuss how ongoing learning can help us shape, but also reshape our perspective. We're also going to explore opportunities for financial brand marketing teams to improve the internal perception of marketing with the relationships that they have with other business line leaders, while at the same time discussing opportunities for financial brand marketing teams to further consider, further think about the influence and the impact of how they communicate can make a positive impact not just on a person's financial well-being, but also on their physical well-being, their mental well-being, and their relational well-being. Welcome to the show, John. It is good to share time with you today. Hey, well, thanks for having me. I'm excited. We have known each other for a while. We've we've had dialogues and discussions on LinkedIn, <laughs> but it's our first time sitting down and and having a conversation face to face, if you will. Even though you're in Utah, I'm in Texas. And before we get too far along talking about the progress you've made along your own journey of growth as VP of marketing at Tab Bank, what's what's going well for you right now in the present moment, personally, professionally, it's your pick to get started on a positive note. Um, yeah, we have a, lo- a lot of great growth at the, at the bank, um, as well as the marketing team specifically. Um, we started off as a really small team. We're still relatively a small team, but we've filled out a lot of our opportunities um, with a lot of the growth that we've had on our working capital side, as well as our lending and more of our consumer deposit side that we've recently entered over the last couple of years. And so, yeah, we're really kind of on all fronts, we're just finding our groove and learning to kind of grow as not only as a bank, but as a marketing department and continue to mature um, from where we started to where we are now, where, you know, we're about midway uh, on our five-year journey. And so looking forward to over the next couple of years, just continuing to mature and refine a lot of the processes and systems that we have here uh, at Tap Bank. So. Well, I want to take you back because you've you've been there now uh, almost five years. And, yeah. and if, if you think back about the progress you've made, it didn't start here. Your journey of growth, if you will, your journey, you had a, you were down a different path altogether, but it has impacted your thinking today. Take us all the way back because you were going down a path of, of healthcare. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, 
my my dad's American, my mom's Korean, and having a Korean mom, uh, she really did have kind of that traditional mindset of I want my kids to be a doctor, a lawyer, and you know, ironically, my my brother graduated from law school. Uh, is not a lawyer, um, but he graduated from law school and now is working working at the Portland PD because um, he hated reading, uh, which is problematic when you're trying to be a lawyer. And for me, it was medical school. And I was a, a month away from starting medical school when I ended up having just a random lunch with a conversation with a friend of mine who was in medical school. And he didn't mean it to be life-changing, but it really was life-changing. He just asked throughout the question of, like, what are the things that you study when you don't have to study anything at all? And I just realized it was never medicine. Like, I only studied it when I had to for school. And it just really created this uh, idea. Now that I'm here, it's like, is this actually what I wanted to be? I, you know, I've been chasing this my entire life. And now that I'm here, I don't know if this is actually what I wanted to do. And and really re started reframing uh, a lot of the decisions from there on out of what I wanted to do um, for a career. Well, it's interesting. My wife is Lebanese. And so as you're talking about doctor, lawyer, and if if, if you're Lebanese, engineer or architect yep. is in that yeah. realm <laughs> as well. So I really relate yeah. to what you're talking about on, on that journey. And, yeah. and, and so you've been at the bank now for almost five years. Um, yeah. You've built this team. And I think I think Tab has a unique story for context for those watching or listening. Tab was started in 1998. Uh, and, and it's interesting because that was four years after the internet reached the mass consciousness of humanity. Um, and if you think about the role that the internet has played in that journey, the work that you're doing, your own personal journey for that matter, it is very influential when you go back and think about the journey you've had over the last five years at TAB, what's, what have been the big lessons that you've learned through this experience? Yeah, there's just been so many lessons. And one of the big things for us, um, both as a team, as well as me individually, is learning and understanding when we are trying to be strategic um, and listening, uh, but also being proactive and making decisions and understanding where our expertise lies um, and being able to be assertive. And, you know, while we're listening to all of those various inputs and perspectives, understanding is like, okay, now that we've listened to this, this is kind of the direction we want to go and learning to execute on that. You know, sometimes you have too many cooks in the kitchen and, you know, you end up with just kind of this mishmash of ideas and execution and, one of the things that we've just learned is whether it's our expertise or another department's expertise that we all provide that feedback, but then leaning heavily on that expertise and, and following that direction. And when whenever they've decided to take a direction, it's like, okay, even if I disagreed with it, um, we're going to kind of learn and just follow through and learn to execute on it. Um, but yeah, with with our team and it's it's so easy and I, I constantly uh, tell my team members about this, like how much easier it is for me to kind of lead a team when we are doing some awesome, crazy work where I'm not spending a lot of my time trying to get them from a bad place to just doing their job, but they're all crazy proactive and doing amazing work. And then it's like, we get to really think about the fun things and strategic things and forward leaning things that are just makes 
going to work really fun. So it's always great when you have a team that can kind of support that. You, you've brought up this idea of, of what I'm writing about in banking on change, exponential growth. And exponential growth I'm defining as when an individual perceives that they are growing personally and professionally at the same exact time. And when you have individuals who have that perception, well, then the team is then now moving towards exponential growth together. And then when teams throughout the organization have that perception that they're growing personally and professionally, well, then the organization is going to do the same. I want to roll this back because you brought this up in, a, in, in, in what you just shared a couple of times with your team specifically, strategy. Um, I know within financial services, in some organizations, the perception of marketing is not always positive. Um, I even wrote about this in Banking on Digital Growth, that marketing is viewed as a glorified in-house kinkos there to serve the last-minute demands of others. Um, marketing is viewed, worst-case scenario, the kids that play with paint and crayons. And there was a Wall Street Journal article that just came out that said the relationship between CMOs and CEOs is continuing to degrade. I, I want to get your take on this. What have you done to help facilitate the role of marketing at a macro level within the organization and then also within other areas of the organization, other lines of business? Yeah, that's a great question. And one of the things that I was fortunate enough when I first came on board that we had a CEO who just really understood marketing and the need for marketing and could understand and be like our advocate um, as I was first coming on board and trying to learn everything about TAB and our culture and everything here. But one of the things that I that I found in my past life, right, and working with a lot of different brands and a lot of different stakeholders, marketing from our standpoint, sometimes we just run in our own bubbles, right? And we have marketing metrics and we we really speak in a lot of ways uh, marketing speak. And for, you know, the experiences that I've had, I've seen that there creates a lot of friction or at the very least, um, just lack of understanding between like CMOs and CFOs and and really a lot of the business units who are looking at one set of numbers and marketing is like, hey, we're doing crazy good from our numbers, but not being able to bridge the gap between, you know, the metrics and the marketing KPIs and the business KPIs overall. And so when I first came in and understanding that, A, generally there, there's that kind of per perception, but also at TAB, there, there was that perception. Um, we, we just didn't have a lot of uh, great history with that. I knew that that was one of my first jobs that I needed to do is be able to bridge that gap and get out of our marketing bubble and be able to speak you know, towards those metrics that really matter to the C-level and to the board um, and being able to draw that connection. And once we were able to do that, you know, and initially we had this grand idea of everything that we wanted to do and everything that we needed to change. And the way that we got to where we're at now is we just had to gain wins, right? And we had to prove ourselves. And by connecting the dots, they could see it. They could yeah. see, oh, now I understand how these marketing metrics are actually tied to the overall business metrics. Now I'm starting to understand even something as 
kind of vague and ambiguous as like brand metrics and brand KPI, understanding it's like, oh, now I'm starting to see the overall lift and how that brings down, you know, kind of down funnel when we're looking at our overall KPIs and conversions. Um, but I, I think one of the reasons why we have such a clash between um, business units and uh, marketing is sometimes we kind of get stuck in our own marketing speak and learning to be able to understand the metrics that matter to them and being able to like putting the onus on us as marketers saying, okay, now I've got to reverse engineer and figure out how do I tie our metrics, the things that we're looking at on a day-to-day to those overall core business KPIs. It's a matter of perspective, uh, and perspective is the sum that I define of context and framing, and marketing views the world from one perspective. Other business lines view the world from a different perspective, and, and back to your point, it's it's often a misunderstanding, um, and that's where to move beyond together as, as a teams, as organizations, to move beyond the misunderstanding comes down to many times just education, to gain another perspective, and I know you, education is important to you. Um, you you do lecture at other universities. At, to, in, at, why? Why invest your time to do that? What are you gaining through that experience there? Well, I gain a lot just by connecting and communicating with college students and really bright minds. And again, as you mentioned, perspective and learning how other people are kind of viewing the world. And so for me, it's a way to stay connected to kind of the rising generation, but also the things that matter to them and and really the world that they live in. Because ultimately, as a marketer, um, I'm in that world as well, right? Like we are going to consumer uh, you know, young uh, millennials and Gen Z, you know, like we we're going after the, that demographic. So it's a way for me to kind of keep um, a foot in uh, that door. But it's also a way for me just to kind of give back because that's really how I gained where a lot of the knowledge and experience that I learned were from individuals who were just willing to take time and just say, hey, you know what, let me just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and kind of show you how things actually are. And so that you can start to navigate that world uh, around you. Um, And when I was first starting marketing, you know, like med school and the medical field was where I came from. And so a lot of the things that I had to learn, I kind of learned the hard way and just by doing. But when I had great mentors who were just like, hey, let me show you a, a template. You just run it. Just do it exactly as I've kind of shown you. And then as you gain experience in it, then you can start to build upon it. And then you create your own flavor. Um, and one, one of my great mentors, his name is Dennis Yu, and he was really, really transformational in this because he he kind of showed me, he's like, listen, nobody cooks like necessarily on their own. Like a, a great chef always copies the recipe initially, right? Because they're, they're just trying to get a feel for it. But then over time, you know, they start to add little things here and there. And then eventually they get to the point where they're just making their own recipes because they have the context and experience to really understand that. And and that's really what I'm trying to do with when I'm teaching at uh, college classes is helping to give a framework by which these students can start to learn and then develop their own framework and their own uh, iterations on how they run their marketing. I like that. You, we don't do this alone. We're all on a journey together and we get to pick and choose what we put into our own recipes going forward into the future. Staying on this theme of learning, why in perspective, getting in perspective setting, 
particularly when it comes to the internal positioning of marketing. And it might not be marketing. I think as we're moving further into this age of AI, what we've experienced over the last 30 years from 1994 to today is going to pale in comparison to what we will experience going forward. I've been trying to at least help people see what the potential could be because we can't can't gain perspective by looking into the future. We only get it by looking backwards. And if we look backwards, we think of exponentiality. Um, and exponential technologies have transformed the way people shop, the way people buy, the way people connect, the way people communicate. And you're talking millennial demographic, you're talking Gen Z demographic now. What have you learned through your experiences connecting and communicating with them for someone in financial services working at a bank, working at a credit union, in marketing, in sales, in leadership about the millennial or even the Gen Z demographic that they might not be aware of today? Well, kind of going back to your point, one thing is this idea of exponential growth. Um, When we have a tendency to look at future growth, we, even when we say exponential, like we really think linearly, like, and so we're, we're thinking it's like, okay, over the next 20, 30 years, this is what you know, my mind is going to project forward um, what technology growth and and drivers are going to be. But the reality is that we have certain innovations as they come about. um, And when they do come about, they come exponentially. And that exponential growth, it's just something that's really, really hard for our minds to wrap around, right? Like it's hard for me as a 41-year-old to exponentially forecast what AI is going to look like in even five years, right? Let alone... 10, 20, 30 years. One of the things that I love about with students is being able to literally see that growth, right? Because they, you know, their time spans short and all of a sudden you you go two, three years and just interacting with them like by their preferences of communications, the things that they like to do, um, the way they communicate and the things that they're discussing and, and talking, you, you, you literally see that growth because you have these different cohorts that, you know, come in um, and you have one group speaking one way. And then like two, three years later, they're totally different, um, you know, style of communication. Um, what they consume is different. The information uh, is different. And therefore, their worldview is different. And and learning and just being able to see that, being an, a, an observer of, hey, I have to transform a lot because every year I have new cohorts. I have new uh, individuals coming in to learn is something that helps me really gain that perspective. And, and it's something that I've, I've learned a lot from. That right there is such a key takeaway that I want to pause on and just put a pin in it. I have to transform. I have to change. That's the hardest piece, I think, a lot of times when it comes to future growth is what we have to transform and let go of. To that point, why don't leaders invest time in ongoing learning. We did some research around this 
with Banking on Change, and we found that about 78% of financial brand leaders across organizations, like departmental roles, if you will, invest one to two hours or less per week in ongoing learning. And I think as quickly as things are transforming, back to your point, you're you're observing this. You're getting a front row seat within the university level. But why do we fail to invest time in ongoing learning? And as a result, we get stuck, we stop growing, we stop progressing, and our perspective of the world stays the same as what it was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when the world has continued to move forward and transform. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a really good question. And I think there's a lot of different reasons that this happens across the board. But I do think one of the things that, you know, again, kind of going back to a, a former CEO, uh, his name was Kurt Kayrus, and he was he was awesome in terms of being able to really understand the impact that he has as a leader. And he was crazy mindful of even simple emails he was sending out to uh, the other C-suites or, you know, someone else like a VP or an AVP within the bank because he knew it created chain reactions. Mm. He knew that even though it wasn't his intention to, he knew he would create fires because, oh, it's a bank president sending me that I need to work on this. And all of a sudden we get so caught up in doing all of these fire putouts, right? Like we're, we're constantly putting out these fires and we rarely take the time to really step back and just like, what are the most impactful big ideas that I need to be working on today? Right. Where, where's my time. And even though I have a million PowerPoints or decks or uh, reports that I have to do, you know, and I'm going to get to those things, where are, where do, where, where do I need to spend my time? And, you know, for me and my team, we really do. And, and, Credit to TAB um, generally as a whole um, with the amount of time that they invest um, both in our own uh, internal training as well as ex- external t- training and allowing us to and giving us that room of, of just being able to have window time. Um, yeah. You know, it's one of the things that we call it of just being able to it's like, hey, you know what, even beyond just learning and reading about things, just allowing yourself to look out the window and just like, hey, you know, what? I'm just going to let my mind wander for 10, 15, 20 minutes and just like let it go where I where it goes. Because, you know, when you think about a lot of your great ideas, they're not while you're in the middle of like busy work, right? They're typically like in the shower or like when you're in the bathroom or just wandering around in a walk. Um, and th- this is where like a lot of these great ideas comes from. So it's like, hey, can can we be intentional and create space within our work time to just allow our minds to really think of like these big you know, bigger picture, more important things for us to work on. And learning is just, you just have to prioritize it. And if you prioritize it and you set aside time, then you you make it happen. And if you don't, then it doesn't happen. That's one of the four seasons for exponential growth. You have a season of learning, thinking, doing, and reviewing. And it's the intentionality to create space and time to invest time in all four of those seasons that is key. The challenge back to your point is when we get so overwhelmed and stuck in the season of doing all of that, those, the, the fires, I appreciate 
the perspective of the CEO you're referencing being very mindful of his words and communication patterns because words are so powerful. We know them in marketing. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I've been working with a lot of marketing teams recently and asking this, it's a bit of a philosophical question, but I'm like, what is marketing? What is marketing? And everyone, you know, takes minute to, to write down what their thoughts are and then they come back and it's, it's ads, it's email, it's social media, it's communication. I'm like, well, it's part, yeah, that's part of it. But if we go to the kind of the first principles, if you will, marketing is influence. And how do we influence people? Through those different communication mediums. And that is a tremendous responsibility that we have in marketing is the potential to influence behavior specifically through the work that we're doing within financial services and how deep financial services impacts an individual. You have physical well-being, you have mental well-being, and you have financial well-being, and they are all interconnected. When you look out towards the future, and the future of marketing through the lens of financial services, what are you feeling most hopeful and excited about? Yeah, there's actually a lot. I, I think there's a lot, especially as you are bridging, because my biggest pet peeve is this this false dichotomy of this idea that's the future of it of finance is either going to be banking um, and fintechs are just going to go away or it's only going to be fintechs. And it's like this constant like battle. I can't even tell you how many conferences or panels I've been on where like, it's literally banks versus like fintechs and this, and it, it, it just, it, it's one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, and the, the reality is um, it is going to be kind of this blend of the two, but really learning to provide impact for our customers. Um, and, the, the fact of the matter is banks have so much data, they have so much uh, impact, potential impact to help consumers and customers to do so much great, you know, so many great things. Um, and and really, um, I, I actually believe this is one of your quotes, um, but like, like banks really do provide hope, right? Like they, they, they help um, provide that, but we don't realize the impact of our own power, right? And um, what, what's funny is one of the things I like to do with other marketers, uh, specifically bank marketers, um, the reason why we don't really think about this a lot when you're talking about impact per se is because generally speaking, like we, we kind of suck at, uh, you know, the marketing that we do. It, but if you were to create a hypothetical of, Whatever you put out there, whatever message it is, whatever offer it is, whatever thing you put out there, 100% of the people that see it will do it, right? Like um, it's almost coercive, right? Like if you had that much influence on the messaging, how much more mindful would you be on what you put mm. out there, right? And right now, like we're just constantly just throwing stuff out there because, you know, we, we're we seeing one, three, 5% conversion rates, right? And we, we really don't feel the impact that we, or of our potential influence. But if you were to frame it in the sense of like, maybe I ought to take a step back and think about the impact and influence I do have and, and, and really be mindful of that as opposed to just constantly adding more noise 
to the already noisy marketplace of ads and promotion, I think you would see much better marketing. You would see a much more impact uh, when it comes to bridging the gap of what are banks able to do for consumers um, and tying that with the technology and uh, pulling it from personal information from the consumers and being able to meet them where they're at and really providing the insights and the, the power that banks can do uh, in order to really transform their lives. And banks just have this huge potential for impact. Um, and yet, you know, we're traditionally just where people throw money and deposit uh, and go to when they need loans. But banks can be so much more than that. Um, and, and I think the future is starting to become more and more. You're starting to see that transformation from banks of learning is like, Okay, we can step into the role, uh, into the seat um, that we have. I appreciate the bank versus fintech narrative is one that is flawed. It looks at the world through a lens of a zero-sum game. Where I look at the world, and this is just how I'm wired, <laughs> through a lens of abundance there's enough opportunity. Collaboration is greater than competition. There are things that fintech provide that banks don't. There are things that banks provide that fintech doesn't. And if we can figure out a way to collaborate and stop this competitive zero-sum game, I think we're all going to be better off for that. Absolutely. But even deeper than that within our organizations, even deeper than that, within the role of marketing, the department of marketing, to your point, people are looking for two things, help and hope, which I've spoke frequently about and continue to do so. It's how do we see ourselves? How do we perceive ourselves within the role of marketing within financial services? Do we see ourselves as someone that can impact and influence positive change and transformation that can truly transform a person's life, transform a family um, for generations to come, knowing that today a lot of our money beliefs are rooted in our family of origin and the environments that we grew up in, both good and bad, and family Lally, who I've referenced on the podcast. We need to get her on the podcast. I keep referencing her. We just need to get her on the podcast. And she's already agreed. It's just a matter of me following through to make that happen. Um, but that's a note. That's a that's a mental note right there. And that's just my vulnerability of <laughs> follow through. Colby is another conversation for another day. But do we perceive how we can make an impact because of the role that money plays in all areas of life, whether that be physical well-being, relational well-being, financial well-being, uh, mental well-being, if we realize that and we own that, what do you think would transform back to your point of intentionality of what we communicate into the world? What do you think? I I mean, and, and this is, you know, such, I mean, this is the kind of the space that, you know, a lot of the people that I'm closest with, that we are all working in our various elements um, of growth is, 
how do we allow and give space for people to grow into what they are poten potentially capable of doing, right? And and not being the roadblocks that get in their way, you know? And I mean, the, you know, this is kind of the epitome of this, right? For a bank, from a banking standpoint, which is, you know, you, you go back in our history, you know, banking history, it's just horrendous. And, you know, you have redlining and all kinds of like very clear ways that banking got in the way um, of otherwise, you know, individuals who, could have created so so much wealth, uh, not only for them themselves and for their families, but also also the communities and generational. Um, and so if you use that as a linchpin of like, hey, what can we do now then, right? Like our decisions that we make today, whether it be from our underwriters to marketing, um, like who we choose to market to, like our yeah. demographics, making sure we're uh, that it's representative of those individuals. And, you know, one of the things that we've we've been working on specifically, you know, at Tab is also how creative bias actually leads to algorithmic bias, right? Where when, you know, if you just took a hypothetical of like, we're trying to go towards amount or accountants, we're, we're creating a messaging around accountants and, and accounting, but the only people in the room are marketers. Um, it's not that the accountants don't understand the words that we're saying. They they get it. They they understand the words. It just falls flat, right? Um, but when it falls flat, it falls flat algorithmically, right? And then the algorithm is like, okay, well, you know what? Um, this is probably the wrong audience, even though it was the intended audience. But like our creative bias kind of got in the way. And so from a marketing standpoint specifically, being mindful of like, the decisions and how and the processes of how we go about doing our marketing matters. And not only from the bottom line, which it does, but it also like impacts, right? Like those individuals who otherwise would open an account with us, or we are uniquely positioned as, you know, Tab Bank to be able to help, you know, and a lot of community banks fill this niche, right? Um, this in-between um, where we don't have this super strict credit box and we, we all have um, some leeways and we might be that opportunity yeah. that a business or a family needs in order to get there. And so being mindful of, yeah, it matters. It matters on how like the processes that we have as a marketing department, as a marketing team, as individuals, um, because it matters on who sees it and who hears it and who's impacted by it. I it comes down to one word that as you're going through, it just kept coming to the front of my mind. It's, it's awareness. It's just being aware, being mindful to use your word of not what we're doing, how we're doing it, but why we're doing it to begin with in the first place. With that in mind, as we start to wrap up, what would your recommendation be for someone who is watching or listening to continue to bring that awareness, build that awareness as an individual, as a team, as an, or and maybe it's through education. Maybe it's through creating the space, the time to just break free from doing, to, to reflect, to learn, to think of how we can do even better going forward into the future. What would your recommendation be for some, someone watching or listening, something small, a small step that they could take right now to at least begin to move forward and make progress on their journey of growth? Really finding ways uh, to create space for it. And so <clears throat> like for me, it's literally blocking out time. Mm -hmm. um, like before we are about to launch a campaign or before we're um, working on an ideation, like 
finding ways to systematize that process, I think just matters so much because if it's not, if, if it's not habit, right. And if it's not part of your, the, the systems and processes that you typically do, um, again, we're, we're just, we have so much on our plates. We have so many fires that we're putting out and we're just so busy. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily intentional, but it just happens, right? Like we just overlook or oversee things. Um, and in, a lot of the successes that we've had, you know, at TAP so far and the successes that we're going to have in the future are continued iterations of finding ways to find space and to be intentional in terms of, um, okay, now not only am I creating space for myself to think through um, and, and block out time to find ways to be aware, um, I'm scheduling in time to meet with our target audience. Like if we're, you know, if we're going after say at home moms, you know, then like, there better well be like a stay at home mom part of that creative conversation, right? right. Like finding ways to interject um, other voices, I think matters. And, you know, as we said at the very beginning, you know, gaining that perspective is, is just wildly important. And it was one of the things that have led a lot uh, to a lot of the success that we've seen at TAB, not only with the marketing team, but other departments. And as we start to um, understand where they're coming from and understanding their perspective and expertise, um, but we've had to be intentional in it and we've had to create teams yeah, and, and we have like within tab, we've created cross-functional teams, um, that pull from all these different departments that not only are working on the same thing, like they report up to the same person, right? Like, um, they're almost like a separate sub team. Um, and so finding ways to systematize and create these processes to create space, I think is the only way to really be able to do this in a you know, repeatable and sustainable fashion. And it comes back to time blocking, put it on the calendar. I think that's the key takeaway. So for example, make this very practical for someone watching or listening, putting 30 minutes to an hour on the calendar or, or a day, um, or even something that Audrey, our ops lead here and I were talking about, for example, on Friday, just taking a half day on Friday, and that's her intentional time to just learn, to read, to watch, to listen, to continue to build and reshape, reframe her perspective through her experience that she then shares with me, which then opens up completely new ways of thinking here, and then that leads to new ways of doing, growing, going forward. So I appreciate, John, the perspective that you have shared here today. What is the best way for someone to reach out, say hello to you, to maybe help reshape their perspective in a conversation? Um, yeah, probably the easiest way is just to find me on LinkedIn. Um, there are like, there's not very many hunting houses out there. So just find me on LinkedIn on uh, John Hunting House and you'll find me there. Well, connect with John, learn with John, grow with John. John, seriously, I thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. This has been a lot of fun today. Oh, it, it's been awesome. It's like we're like kindred spirits as we were kind of talking about. Like, I love it. So it's, it's super been, it's been a lot of fun. And thanks for having me on here. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and be the light. <laughs>